little service this week on Wednesday night. Every year on we always have a Wednesday night service, but this Wednesday night is our special Thanksgiving service. It will be a great devotional that will be in here. Usually it's pretty small, pretty intimate, but it's always fantastic. Craig Schuster leads that, and it is, it, I know it's going to be great. There have been nights, I have to tell you the truth, and I'm the preacher, okay, as I tell you this. There have been, the, what do you call that, Thanksgiving Eve nights that I thought, I don't want to go tonight. I mean, we're all home, and it's kind of chilly outside, and, and you know, it's just a devotional, what we say sometimes. I don't want to go. And you know what happens every year when I leave? I am so glad that I went. So I hope you'll be there. I hope you'll be a part of that. I'm sure we'll, we'll be streaming that as well, but obviously it's much better if you're in person. So we hope to see you then and hope that it is a great night of worship and a great night of being thankful. And tonight we continue on with this little series of lots of love for a troubled church. We're talking about the church in the ancient city of Philippi that Paul writes an entire letter to. And so in Philippians, as we've talked about, we've got issues going on in the church and problems going on there. But Paul, one of the things he wanted to do is he wanted to make them aware of false teachers. That there were going to be people coming in, and they were already there apparently, that were teaching some things that weren't right. You know, today we can figure out often, not everything, but we can figure out a lot of things, if it's true or not true. I mean, we look at the Bible, right? And so we can say, well, according to my Bible, I can tell what you're saying is not right. But you know, whenever Paul wrote the letter to the Philippians, they didn't have the Bible, right? They just might have maybe had a letter or two, or they didn't have it all to know. And so people could come by and be very convincing with what they had to say. And so he's saying, watch out for these kinds of people to come in. So he tells them in Philippians chapter 3, verses 2 through 4, watch out for those dogs. Boy, that tells you what he thinks, right? Watch out for those dogs, those evildoers, those mutilators of the flesh. For it is we who are the circumcision, we who serve God by his spirit, who boast in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh, though I myself have reason for such confidence. <clears throat> Often we talk about, and just Wednesday night in the class I teach, we talked about this as well, that traditionally we have talked about five steps to becoming a Christian, about hearing the word of God and believing the word of God, confessing Jesus and repenting of our sins and being baptized into Jesus. They added six. I don't mean Paul added six. I mean the false teachers added six. And they said, and be circumcised. Now, if you choose to do that for tradition or health, that's great. But it's not a sign that you are in the in group and you're going to heaven and everybody else isn't. But that's what was going on. And so you can understand why Paul is going to fight this. And Paul's going to say, look, I can boast if I want to boast. And you know from his other letters, he talks about all he had done. He had studied under Gamaliel, who was the top teacher and literally in the world at the time as far as the Jewish world is concerned. I mean, he knows his stuff. He's at the top. He is a Roman citizen. He is a Jew of the Jews. He is a Pharisee. All those things. And he says, don't try to tell me that you know in this case more than I do. Besides all of those things, I mean, I had a revelation from Jesus. Go ahead and take don't try to do that. Oh, is he frustrated? You see how frustrated he is? Those mutilators of the flesh. Dogs isn't necessarily a negative term. Always, but certainly mutilator of the flesh is pretty negative. So I think we could go that way with him. With what he's saying, oh, he's frustrated. 
I hope you get frustrated when you see people make it difficult for others to enter the kingdom of heaven. I hope you get frustrated when you see people put barriers up so people run away from Christianity or they walk away from faith in Jesus because of what people do. Sometimes it's because of our sin and sometimes it's because of our pride which is also sin or whatever it may be. And we do that. Parents sometimes do that with their children. Sometimes grandparents do that. Teachers do it. Television does it. Wherever you want to say, yeah. It happens all the time. And if I have ever done that, that I want to repent as much as I can because I don't want to do anything to get in the way of Jesus. Because Paul obviously knew Jesus gave up more than me and he even gave up more than Paul did and it is flat a crime, an eternal crime, to do something that would stop someone from becoming a follower of Jesus. Jesus is the one who has given up, not me. Jesus is the one who gave his life, who lived a perfect life, and then gave his life for me, not me. And so how dare I, or someone else, put a barrier in the way of someone from becoming a Christian? I also like what Paul says in Philippians chapter 3 and verses 8 through 11, and he's basically saying to the people in this little congregation in the ancient city of Philippi, hey, I want you to know how important this is to me. I don't, I'm not going to mix any, mince any words. I'm going to tell you exactly how important it is to me to know Jesus Christ. He says, what is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage, that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ Jesus. The righteousness that comes from God on the <coughs> I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining the resurrection from the dead. Oh, this is powerful stuff he's talking about here, isn't it? Whatever he says, I want to know Christ. Everything else is garbage compared to knowing Jesus. And so comparing, compared to Jesus, it's garbage. Literally, this word is a lot stronger than that. Some of you have read it in the old days, and the King James would being rubbish, but this is more usually used for the word excrement, or it's the word used even for the scraps that you would throw out for dogs to eat. He says, everything I have done, can you all not hear me? Why? Let me turn it on. There, now. Okay. I'm so glad you're with us tonight. Oh, the people who listen to this later, this is going to be great for them because they're going to go, I get a seven-minute sermon, so it's going to be good. Compared to knowing Christ, everything is garbage. Everything. And so when you look at Paul's life, well, what do you mean? You mean studying under the greatest uh, person in all of the Jewish world is garbage? He says, yep. You mean being a Roman citizen is garbage compared to being a Christian? Yep. You mean the money and the prestige that you might have had in your life in the past is worth nothing? It's garbage compared to being a Christian? He says, absolutely, it is 
garbage. Those are tough words. Those are tough words. I wonder if we would say the same thing. Now, I pray we never have to figure this out. I pray that it never comes down, give your house over to the government or some other group, a terrorist group or whoever, or, or renounce your faith. I hope I never have to decide that. Or how about if it's my car? Or how about if it's my bank account? Or how about if it's my family? How about if it's my life? Paul says, and there is nothing compared to knowing Jesus. Now, that's, a, that's powerful because only Jesus matters. He is the only thing that has value. When we get to this point, let me, under, let me explain, and I'm not there. I'm trying to get there. But when we get to this point, our lives have so much more peace. Is that me? Okay. There's some, <laughs> this is an interesting night. So, when we get to the point that only Jesus matters, we have peace because there is nothing that anyone or anything can do to us. You realize that? Because what can you take from me? I'll kill you, okay? I'll take your house, okay? Talk about peace, that's it. When only Jesus matters. When only Jesus has value. A crucified Jesus is critical. We talk about a crucified Jesus so often. We take the Lord's Supper every Sunday morning. And we come and we take the Lord's Supper and we remember the death and burial. And, and we intend to remember the resurrection, but sometimes we forget it. And we remember the death and the burial of Jesus. And we talk about that and what it meant. And people often wear a, a, what we call a crucifix is a cross that has Jesus on the cross. People, you'll see people wearing those or they're up in houses or whatever. And it's because they remember Jesus and the crucified Jesus. Now, I'm not totally against that. Don't misunderstand. But while a crucified Jesus is critical, a resurrected Jesus is even more important. We need Jesus to make the sacrifice. Don't misunderstand that. But if he would have just died, then the sacrifice hasn't, doesn't have the same value. When he's resurrected, when he's not on that cross, then there's the value because death has been defeated. That's what makes it worth something because Jesus did something that nobody else did. God raised him from the dead. This morning we sang that song about, about when his body began to breathe. I just love that. It, 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 it makes the hair stand up on the, on the back of my, of my head for a little bit longer. Maybe a few years longer it'll stand up on the back of my head when I hear that. But a resurrected Jesus is even more important than a, than a crucified Jesus, although we certainly need both of them. I love this passage. Some of you know what we used to sing it. I want to know Christ and the power of his rising, share in his suffering. You know that song, some of you do. Paul had known Jesus for about 30 years at this point when he writes Philippians. Now imagine that, 30 years. You know, in my job, I get to do a lot of premarital counseling, and that's always fun. It's always fun to do premarital because couples are really happy at that point in life, and, you know, and everything's going to be great and wonderful, you know, and they giggle a lot usually, and all that's really good. And so one of the things I always tell them, I always say, you think you know your fiancé right now. Matter of fact, every once in a while, that couple might even be living together, and that's not what we'd want people to do, but that we know that goes on. 
and say, you might think you really know your fiance. Oh, you know the color of her eyes, you know her mother's middle name, and, and you, think, you think you've got it all down. But let me tell you, one year from your wedding date, on your first anniversary, if you stop and say, did I really know you back then? You're going to laugh and say, I didn't know you back then. I, I didn't know you at all until now, a year in now, I really know you. Then you go to the fifth anniversary. Wow, I knew nothing about you at the first anniversary. So Barbara and I have now been married for 32 years. I really think I have figured, oh, she's in the audience, so I'm in trouble. <laughs> I think I figured her out. Don't, I hope she didn't hear that. I think I figured her out. But when we've been married 50 years, I'll say I didn't know anything at 32 years. I didn't know anything back then. This is Paul saying, I'm going to keep growing. I want to know Christ. I want to know Jesus like I've never known Jesus before. This desire. You know, one of the things with, you know, that I learned in my days when I would adjunct as a university professor and different teachers I would have, you know, one of the things that would happen is you have professors sometimes that finish their education 20 years before or 30 years before, and the day that they got it, they quit studying. Then you have others who kept writing in journals and kept writing books and kept studying and making presentations. Do you know the difference in one that's telling you something that's kind of just old hat that isn't alive anymore and those that have kept that alive and they keep learning and they know more and more and more? That's what Paul says every Christian ought to be. If you decided that you arrived the night that you were baptized or if you decided you arrived in your faith at some point in the past, you are confused because we keep growing and we keep studying, and we keep learning, and it keeps formulating us to make us more than what we have been. Paul had known Jesus for about 30 years, and he says this, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection. I want you to stop and think about that for just a moment. Who can raise a person from the dead? Yeah, Jesus, his father. And I want to know the one that can be raised from the dead. I want to know the power that raises someone from the dead. That is incredible. And to think that the Father raises him from the dead, and then the Father says to us, for those in his kingdom, you can call me Abba, according to the book of Romans. You can call me Abba. The, the, one, the only one that can raise anybody from the dead, God, says, you're my kid, and I love you. And I want you to be with me forever. That's incredible. That's what Paul's talking about here. There was still so much to learn. It felt like he knew a lot, but there was so much to go. Then in Philippians chapter 3, verses 12 through 14, he says it this way, Not that I've already obtained all this, or I've already arrived at my goal. But I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I don't consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining ahead for what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. 
So how can I know Jesus better? Or how can I better know Christ? I started to put just for fun, how can I more better know Jesus, right? How can I know Jesus better than I do right now? Paul said, it is forgetting the past and focus on the future. Now, that doesn't mean I forget everything that's ever happened in a way that all at once I have amnesia. That's not what he's saying. But I don't dwell back here anymore. There are some folks that it seems like sometimes they wear their, their and this is, I guess, judging to some sense, it almost feels like that they are wearing their past almost as a badge of pride. And I'm not going to wear my past as a badge of pride. I'm not going to be proud of what I've done. And, I'm, and Paul would refer to what he had done sometimes. But I'm not going to live in that anymore. I'm going to move forward. And I, and, and I can't get rid of it because it's happened. But what I can do is lean forward and to say, I want to know what's out there, what is in front. I want to know Jesus, and I want to know the power of his rising. And not only do I want to know the power of his rising, I want to share in his suffering, because if that brings me closer to Jesus to suffer for him, then that's what I want. That is a man that is sold out for Jesus. He wants to know Christ that's what I want. It's not where I am, but that is what I want. And so I keep learning. I don't stop learning. I just keep learning. And when I say I, I'm meaning we keep learning. We keep learning about Jesus. We keep reading his word. We keep praying. We keep interacting with other people who know Jesus. We keep up with what's going on in the world around us so we can figure out how that applies and how we can tell others about Jesus, how we can help people in the name of Jesus. And we just keep going. We don't stop. We don't say, after I have read a, a certain number of books, that somehow I am finally there. Years ago, I gave a man a Bible. And he was an interesting man in many ways. And so I gave him this Bible, and a few months later I saw him again. And I said, Do you have, where's your Bible? He said, well, I don't have it anymore. I said, where is it? He goes, I gave it away. I said, oh, why'd you give it away? He said, well, because I read it all. Well, this is a, I tried to explain, this is a reference book. Okay, here's another one. You know, you don't like read the dictionary and then give it away, right? And say, I don't need it anymore. You're still going to have to go back to it. We keep studying God's word. We keep interacting with people and finding a way to know Jesus better. So my question for us tonight is, am I willing to know Christ? And understand that word, no. Am I willing to know Christ. Not just the surface about him. Not just a few simple things so that I would, have, I would have the answers if I were on a trivia show. Incidentally, there was a wrong answer on Jeopardy that's going around this, these days about the Bible. Am I, do, I, do I know enough about Jesus that, that I could carry on a conversation? That's not what I mean. Do I want to know Christ to the point that I say that I want to know the power of his rising and that I want to share in his sufferings. You know, we have so much to be thankful for. Tonight, here we are together. This is something to be thankful for. There's, there are folks, lots of folks watching online that couldn't hear in the beginning, but now they can hear. Because I turned on the microphone. <laughs> but all that 
All those things are blessings, and they are blessings from God. I have so much to give him thanks for. I want to know him better today than I knew him yesterday and better tomorrow than I know him tonight. If you need to be baptized into Jesus, if you just want to ask questions, if you need prayers, write to us at elders at mcoc.org or come forward and we'll help you all that we can. Come as we stand and sing.